You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings, happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show podcast for Westwood One, powered by CRTV. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me. We would love it if you would join us. Let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Speaking of CRTV, we just wrapped up production for today's television show for CRTV. Let's give the audience a little preview of what's coming up today at CRTV.com. Todd. Oh, I'm reminded, not so much learned, but reminded that there are no boundaries uh, for the depths of my uh, cynicism. I am just, I'm not the same man I was three years ago. Uh, A guy like uh, Andrew Napolitano wants to talk about how uh, unbelievable uh, what just happened with Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump and Cohen and paying, and he says that unbelievable as a, if it's a bad thing. But, man, the show must go on, and unbelievable is what people want. You, you went Stone Temple Pilots there. I'm half the man I used to be. You did that. You dropped a little EMF. You're unbelievable. Oh, you did that twice. Wow, look that at was, you. That's that a, a gift. Little, that was a good little preview right there. Well I done. I didn't even know I did that, didn't you? Yeah, so I, I yeah. You didn't think I was paying attention either, did you? Because I was over here doing some of my wildly, iPad. Well, no, I, you're always doing five things at once. Aaron. Yeah, I mean, if you were curious about um, what exactly the latest developments were, how we got to where we are uh, from from where we've been with the Trump Stormy Daniels story, um, but you really wanted to hear it in the style of a game show. I have you covered. Yes. Now, I want to give you credit for your creativity, but man, when you've got a muse like this offering you regular content, you know what I'm saying? Mm. You've got one heck of an inspiration right now. I mean, you yeah. should be... If we're, if we're, if we're busting stars. out, Yeah, if we're, if we're busting out old school pop references, you got to be singing Chicago's, man. You're the meaning in my life. You're the inspiration right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, They are just teeing it up for you in these snarky montages, Aaron, on a daily basis right now. They are. Um, what's going to happen, though, if he's not president? That's that, I don't know. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Let's not even contemplate such yeah. a thing. Yeah. The show must go on. Yes. Well, if you want to subscribe to CRTV, now's a good time, as any. CRTV.com, promo code DACE, is how you can sign up today to get access to not just our show, but all of the shows we do each day here at CRTV.com, including and leading with the great one, Mark Levin. CRTV.com, promo code D-E-A-C-E. We have a free trial period, so if you try it during that time and you're like, yeah, it's not for me, cancel before it expires, you'll be charged nothing. But if you decide to stay, you won't just get our show, every show, and you get all the shows you missed up until now as well. CRTV.com, promo code DACE. And I think it adds up to something like 20 cents a day is what an annual subscription is. To CRTV, 20 cents a day. Do some quick math on the fly here. I think that's what it adds up to. So I got to believe we were, you know, I hate to go all Chris Rock and I'm going to get you, sucker. How much for one rip? But I got to believe. I got to believe we're worth 20 cents. Yeah. Right? 20, 25 cents. I got to believe we're worth 20 cents. You think you're worth 20 cents? I'm certain of it. <laughs> certain. <laughs> like the way you said not cynical at all about that. That I'm still certain of. I am confident I'm worth 20 cent. Now, if you start, you know, you bust out a 50 cent piece, we might have to, I don't might have to backtrack a little bit, but I'm confident, Todd says. I'm, I'm confident I'm worth 20 cent. CRTV.com, promo code DACE, if you agree that Todd is worth 20 cent. Well, let's get to it. Theology Thursday. And I'm going to probably make everybody mad. And the reason why I'm going to make everybody mad with this topic is because I don't think it's as simple 
And I don't think it's as cut and dried as we believe that it is. And you're not even talking about eschatology, are no, you? No, I'm... I'm <laughs> no. You just said I was going to make everybody mad, so I assumed for a Oh, second. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. I, I literally thought, maybe I should do pre <laughs> dispensationalism this week. <laughs> Let's do the rapture. Let's do that. Uh, no, this... But given what's going on right now in the media and what is the dominant story in the country... I think we need to address it. We have addressed this topic in other ways and in other forms in the past. We're going to address it this week comprehensively and holistically. The problem is once personalities get involved, we have a tendency to decide not just what's news based on our view of the personality the news is about, but what the consequences for that news should be We'll even twist the good news of God's word when we apply it to the personality in question based on whether we like that person or we don't. And that, that's what's going to alienate a lot of people here. Because I, you know, I've, I've constantly had this tug. Steve, join our camp. Um, I was never Trump during the last election. I don't regret it at all. I took the stance that I thought um, I could defend with my integrity and credibility. And then after the election was over, I said the day after, the election's over. It, that is retired for me now. I'm not going to actively work against a president. I want what's best for the country. And so I'm going to sit here as best as I can, and we're going to call balls and strikes. And over the last year and a half, what's happened is I've become a frequent critic now of the Never Trump movement I was a part of. Because, see, I thought the Never Trump thing was we, we, we just can't allow ourselves to sacrifice whatever is left of the brand of conservatism in defending the indefensible for little or nothing that we're likely to get from a policy standpoint in return. Right. That's what that's kind of what we thought Never Trump was. Correct. And there's there's like five of us that that thought that, too. And it turns out the other 95 percent, it was really just because I don't want Trump's supporters to take over the Republican Party so that my elitist bushy faction doesn't run the show anymore. That's really what it turned out to be for the vast majority of these people. They, they really weren't conservatives at all. They just, they didn't want regular everyday Americans in charge of the Republican Party. They they wanted their, their you know. You're describing butthurt. Yeah, they, that's exactly right. They wanted their bushy clan to run it until Jesus returns. That's, that's really what this was about. Well, I'm not in that. And that's where you get clown shows like Anna Navarro, who, you know, if you wake up and it's 65 degrees on, on Valentine's Day in the dead of winter, she'll tweet out, this is Trump's fault for not addressing adequately climate change. That's what I'm talking I'm not doing any of that stuff, no. I'm not Bill Crystal. Well, maybe tax cuts aren't a good idea now that Trump signed him into law. I'm not doing that crap. No. But I'm not doing the shill thing either. Because then you're put in a position like Sarah Sanders is in today, where she stood up there as the White House spokeswoman and vehemently on behalf of the White House, put her credibility on the line and denied all the Stormy Daniel stuff, only to have the White House, starting with Rudy Giuliani and now the president this morning himself, basically admit it's true. And then, and then this all goes down. You want to talk about providence. This all goes down on the National Day of Prayer when you've got all these evangelical leaders that have just made clowns of themselves because they can't bring themselves to do what my buddy Joe Rosenberg said on Twitter today. I'm deeply disappointed, he said, with the president's behavior and what he's admitted to. That doesn't take away from my appreciation for the policies he's done that I agree with, but this is, from a character standpoint, that's not who we are, and we should do better than that. I don't know, I don't know why these quote unquote evangelical leaders just simply were incapable of doing the same thing all this time. I think I know, but I'm not going to say it out loud because I don't want it to be true. So we're just going to pretend we don't know and move on. So I'm not going to put myself in a Sarah Sanders position where now I, I have to go out before the White House press court today. And you know how much your life must suck when you lose the moral high ground to Jim Acosta? Stop and think about that for a second. That's where she's at right now. Went out there, 
told the president's story, it was a lie. And now you're sitting there with a guy who's turned political, dishonest political hackery into quote unquote journalism as CNN's chief White House correspondent and Jim Acosta. And you're going to have to sit there today if you're Sarah Sanders. You thought Michelle Wolf was bad. Having the indignity of being, of losing the moral high ground to Jim Acosta, I just, I'd leave. I, I couldn't, no way. I'm not doing this anymore. It's got to be anything else in the world. Ditch digging, some other, somebody, I'm, I'm getting, I'm calling my husband, monster.com. There's got to be something better in life than losing the moral high ground to Jim Acosta on national television. I, I can't do that. And so we have set here in this, ethereal middle where if the president does things I agree with and he's done numerous things I've agreed with and supported I'm now called a hack and a shill and I'm excusing all of his behavior that's every day right and then when I don't excuse his behavior you jump on my Facebook wall and say I might as well go work for Nancy Pelosi this has pretty much been my every day for two years want to share something with you there's a woman i used to work with at who my old job and she was our receptionist her name was gail and she was a huge supporter of my show and me using my show for activism to get conservatives elected um, to hold the republican party accountable etc And, you know, we didn't always agree, but we had a great relationship. She was a huge supporter of my efforts. And, and pretty much the only interaction we've had the last few years since I went into national media is I still get stuff sent to my old WHO address. She sees it, contacts me and says, hey, do you want it? No falling out. I've not criticized her. I've not saying, you ever even heard me mention this woman's name until no. right now? You've never even heard it? Never. Okay. This morning... When I, when I posted the timeline of the five different narratives that the Trump White House has put out about Stormy Daniels, here's what she sent me. One of the biggest non-stories of the year, if you're trying to inform, not sure if anyone cares what he did 10 years ago, they are claiming he paid a retainer, which was in turn was paid to the whore. Guess if you're a never-Trumper, you'll take the side of the whore that signed a document claiming the sex story was false. Meanwhile, prisoners have been released in North Korea. Now, I, I would expect that from someone who doesn't know me, never been around me, never, doesn't know me on a first-name basis, didn't work with me for several years, doesn't know what my motivations are. You know what I'm saying? Right. This is from someone, though, who worked closely with me for several years. And I have said nothing negative about or to that I'm aware of since we left. My reply to her was, Gail, you really don't care the president lied on Air Force One about this just last month? You don't care that potential campaign finance laws were broken here? Seriously, what happened to you? This is not the woman I worked with at WHO. But your story is not unique. I'm doing the exact same thing I did for years when you cheered me on. I haven't changed. Although that part's probably not true. If I probably have changed. I'm a, I'm, if you think I'm confrontational now, I am softer than I used to be. Anybody want to disagree with that? Um, softer isn't the. I think you are just uh, measured. Yeah, that's a good word. Yes. How about less prone to immediately hit the nuke button? How's that? There yeah. you go. Okay. I did. I, I'm just doing what I did for years when you cheered me on. I didn't change. You did. I told her, and you changed because everyone likes the truth, except when it's their precious that the truth hurts. I prayed for the president multiple times. I've defended him when I thought he was right. Have you prayed for me? Have, do you pray for Democrats? I don't know. Maybe you do. I don't know. And in this country, we are the sphere of authority because that was one of her arguments. I know because she says in one of the replies, I'm not part of Trump cult. I know what the sphere of authority is. He's the president. And I said, uh, no, in this country, we are the sphere of, the, of authority, not the president. He's just a dude with a temporary title for a few years. Now, I wish I could tell you that this interaction has been unique in my career, no. but it has gone on throughout my career with people who once literally stood right by my side when I took on the system. 
And then literally out of nowhere, for no reason at all, other than it was their precious that it was time to confront. Now suddenly I'm the worst person that ever lived. I say all of that because when I anger you with what I'm about to say, if you are a shill or a hater, you will not like this podcast. But you are the ones that need to listen to it the most. When you send me your negative notes, I want you to know, if you think it's going to hurt me, you are wasting your time. Because moments like this on my own Facebook wall with a woman who has seen me with my wife and kids who has supported my efforts and then jumps on my wall and takes every negative assumption imaginable about what my motivations are when she knows me well enough to know what my motivations are. I've been down that road so many times with people who actually know me that uh, Johnny from Utah sending me a three-paragraph monstrosity on my email later today because you just can't have it anymore. I promise you, it's good. you're going to exert more emotion over that note writing it than I will receiving it. And chances are, when I read the first sentence or two and I see it's nine paragraphs, I'm not going to read the rest and just delete it. True fact. True fact. Funny, too. I'm going to do this topic not because I want us to kill each other, because I'm tired of us killing each other. It's actually the exact opposite. There's two reasons we're killing each other over this. One is idolatry. Idolatry of party. Idolatry of a politician. Idolatry of hatred of that party. Idolatry of hatred of that politician. I I can't I'm not equipped to address that. I'm a man. I am not the Holy Spirit. I I can point out to you what I see from the outside of where your blind spots are, and you can do the same thing for me. But when you're the person who emails me about my Christian witness because I said douchebag, and then you tweet out that this is no what Trump does in his private life is nobody's business he's the president of the United States I, I can't help you with that okay if, if me dropping douchebag if that gets your puritanical on but lying on Air Force One about whether I paid off a porn star or not on camera you think is just nobody else's business then I, you know that's really a you problem I, I'm not I can't help you and we all have our blind spots I have mine That's why we need accountability. That's why we need transparency. That's why we shouldn't give up meeting together. That's why we need to belong to a church. We need to have friends. You have people around you that can say, eh, that's not really, you're not really seeing that clearly. So I'm not going to sit here and bony finger point on idolatry. That's not going to be the point of this podcast. What I want to talk about is the second reason I think we're killing each other over this. And it's a lack of clarity. And I think one of the reasons there's a lack of clarity is because we have misused the word of God where this topic is concerned. And we have often misused the word of God to come to the conclusion we want it to come to and then reverse engineered it to apply to either the politician that we hate or the one that we love. And on any topic, it is dangerous to use the word of God that way. It is a double-edged sword. What does a double-edged sword mean? It doesn't mean one end of it has two sharp edges. It means there's a sharp edge at both ends. That's what it means, okay? And so when you go to cut someone else to the quick with it, you risk slicing yourself open at the exact same time. That's what it means. Doesn't mean it's like a double-barreled shotgun. Okay? Hey, hey, the, the, the devil cut off one end of the sharp end, but you still have one left. That's not what it means. 
What it means is it holds everybody into account simultaneously. That's what that means. It was written for originally and by people inspired by the Holy Spirit, but who lived in cultures that were not necessarily given the levels of freedom that we enjoy today. There's very little voting in the Bible. One of the rare instances of it happens to be one of the saddest scenes in all of the scriptures. I can sum those up in four words. Just give us, just give us Barabbas. Chances are, we don't want to draw our parallel how to vote in modern America from that scene, right? Okay, so um, let's not go there. But it just goes to show you there's very little voting in the Bible. In fact, there's more leaving it up to random chance because God controlled the casting of lots. So let's cast lots and let the providence of God decide. So right away, since we don't have a we don't have a lot of direct parallels, it becomes difficult for us to come to clarity. Again, I'm not going to tackle your idolatry. I don't. I'm not equipped to do that, and I'm not the Holy Spirit. This is one time Barack Obama's right. It's above my pay grade. I, I'm not there to. I can't do that for you. What I can help you with, if you're a fellow pilgrim, a fellow traveler here on the way, what I can help you with, though, is if you want to help to come now and reason together as we come to some clarity on that, I can help you with that. And what I mean by I can help you doesn't mean that I'm claiming here I've got the answer for you. But that maybe we can walk together down this road and compare notes and see what does God's word say to us this Theology Thursday about the character of our leaders. One of the, one of the things that I struggled with, whether or not to support Trump, is that the two years leading up to his nomination, when I told everybody right away I was going to endorse a candidate early and try and find one that I thought could unite the various factions of conservatism rather than the little engine that could where we send a Mike Huckabee or a Rick Santorum out of here on a ragtag you know operation and a thrifty budget meaning they can't compete with the with the party bosses and we send them out of here and then they you know Santorum lasted longer than Huckabee did but eventually they just fizzle out because they don't have the wherewithal for the long haul I was going to endorse early, even though Salem did not want me to, because, of course, once I endorse, a lot of the cable news hits, a lot of the candidates coming on all dry up because they think we are already spoken for, so there's no point talking to you anymore. But I, I, I thought it was more important, given the likelihood this would be the last Iowa caucus as we've ever known it, and maybe my last chance on this earth to have a direct influence in who will lead the most powerful nation on earth. I thought that was more important than building my brand. And so I made the choice going in and I let everybody know going in, I'm going to endorse early so that I have ample time to hopefully do for somebody what I did for Huckabee in 2008 and what I couldn't do for Newt Gingrich in 2012 when I endorsed him three days before the caucuses and there's nothing that can be done. I needed a standard, though, beyond who can unite the various factions, meaning I needed the candidates to meet a moral threshold before I then considered the political question. You see what I'm trying to say? So they needed to meet the moral threshold first. And then we would then once the then once those ones that did meet that moral threshold crossed that line, then I would take a look at where they stood from a political practicality standpoint and try and make a judgment call. Who do I think has what it takes to go the long haul? And eventually I made the call for Ted Cruz. Well, several of us here in Iowa sit around looking for what that standard might be. One of them is one of my best friends. He joins us on the show on CRTV every Monday, Bob Vanderplatz from The Family Leader. And here's what we came to. We went to the word of God and said, hey, it doesn't say a lot specifically about voting. But what about characters of representatives? 
who represents you. And we went to Exodus 18, 21. And to set the scene here, Moses is presiding over all of Israel, from the majors to the minors. It's exhausting him. It's exasperating him. His father-in-law, Jethro, comes to him and says, you need to delegate authority. And he explains to him why and what that delegation should look like. And then in verse 21, Jethro tells him, now that we've, now here are the kinds of people you're looking for. And he says, I'm going to use the ESV because it's a literal word-for-word translation, okay? Moreover, look for able men from all the people. Now, how did Jethro define who's an able man? Men, he defined able men as men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And that was the moral standard I went with in vetting the candidates for the initial threshold. And if you go back to the primary cycle, the family leader here with Bob Vanderplatz, they ended up using the exact same threshold. I struggled with, I don't believe Donald Trump meets any of these things. I, I, I stood 20 feet from him when he said, I don't fear God, meaning I, I never had to ask God for forgiveness for anything. So that's out. I mean, we know he doesn't hate bribes because now today he's admitting he bribed Stony, Stormy Daniels. He's admitting it now. We know he's not trustworthy because now today he's also admitting. We're just talking about what has happened today. We're not talking about all the other stuff we've seen the last few years. Just today, he has admitted he's not above bribing somebody. And he's admitted that he lied when he looked in the camera and said he didn't know anything about Michael Cohen paying her off. Do we all agree on that? Yeah. So even if I just went by what we saw today, let alone all the other problematic things we were talking about when this was going down two or three years ago. And... I, I didn't know, how am I going to go on camera somewhere later on? I, I never denied he was a better choice than Hillary Clinton. But I would, you know, I would also rather have my kneecap shot off than my throat slit. But I'm not going to go on national TV and say, hey, everybody, shoot your kneecap off. I mean, I, how am I going to, I, I, I've watched all these people get clowned for the stuff they said about Trump. And then have it thrown in their face later on, right? We saw that. Bobby Jindal, Chris Christie, Ted Cruz. Let's just pick names, right? We saw them all get made fools out of. I'm like, I don't, what, how am I going to avoid that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell my audience, because my number one concern is revival and worldview. So I'm going to tell my audience for two years, this is the standard I'm looking for. And then when it doesn't go my way, I'm going to turn right around and say, well, I was looking for it then, now I'm not. Well, that's situational ethics, number one. And then two, I'm, from a business standpoint, I thought it was a bad move because I'm going against my own brand. I mean, if you're going to get that level of political calculation, go to Rush and people that are much better at it than me who have, who have made millions of dollars doing this. There's no point in me doing, you know, B-team caricatures of what a lot of other people in my industry have already made millions of dollars owning as their shtick. I can't, it made no business sense for me just to be another team GOP guy beyond just what my own conscience was telling me. It was a bad move from a branding standpoint. But here's the problem though. Later on, you see God appoint people who do not meet this standard. And this is where we get confused. You look at, we know that we know about King David. Do we? You think you know. Do you know that he nearly, that he plunged his kingdom in the civil war and nearly lost his crown because he would not, he would not deal with his son raping his half-sister. And yes, he eventually married Bathsheba. They had another son, Solomon. For a while, he was the wisest man that ever lived by the time that he died. He had devolved into complete and total hedonism and paganism. 
He was building temples to his pagan wives, twice the size of the one that he built to the Lord. The son that was his heir, Rehoboam, was a complete and total tool, miscreant, who was such a bad leader, he led to the splintering of the Jewish people, and they never came together again. Because eventually those northern ten tribes were lost to history after they were conquered by the Assyrians. So see, there's a lot more to this story. How many, how many of you know the rest of that story? How many? You look at Samson. I mean, Samson essentially had a rewards card at Canaanite and Philistine brothels. And yet his dying act is he begs God to give him the strength to plunge the temple the Philistines had built to the demon fish fake god Dagon, plunge it face down in the dirt and kill every last one of the worshipers of this false demon god. You look at the New Testament, who were many of the men before they were called. Cowards, in the case of Matthew or Levi, charlatans, frauds, as a tax collector, common people. The man who wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else held tunics in his previous life so Christians could be stoned to death and persecuted and arrested Jesus' followers because he wanted to. He believed in it. And so we have this, what we think is a contradiction in our human terms. Because here we have this standard that Jethro says to Moses, here's whom you should call. And then we see whom God calls. And often they don't meet any of these standards. And so here's what we do. We say, well, God can use David so he can use blank. Is that true? Well, of course it's true. All things work together for the glory of God and for those called according to his purposes. Romans 8, 28, and that specific chapter of Romans 8 is my favorite scripture. I think it's some of the most eloquent prose ever written in the history of the human species. But let's break that down. All things work together for the glory of whom? The United States of America, the conservative movement, your political party, your partisan political mission, even if it's a good one, your, your, your political cause, even if it's a noble one, like the sanctity of life. All things work together for the glory of that. Is that what that says? No. All things work together for the glory of God and for those called according to our motivations, our good intentions, our missions. No. God's purposes. See, when you're sovereign, you get to bend and mold broken people into what you want them to be. You, when, when you stand above, in, around, through, transcendently from history, you get to take people's terrible mistakes and turn them into mighty works for good. We don't have that luxury. We can't do that. We're human beings. We're not omniscient. We're not omnipresent. We're not transcendent. We're just human. And when we get into this notion of, if my intentions are good enough, then I can make all these compromises and God will see my good intentions and he will reward them. In that equation, you are behaving as if you are sovereign and not God. 
that God is here to react to you, not you to him. In any relationship, the initiator is the head. So if you act as if God is just sitting back waiting for you to decide, you to initiate who you think is the better choice here, and then he'll happily just, you know, work his heavenly mojo from there and make it all right. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. But Steve, it sounds like to me you're saying that unless someone is perfect, morally good, we can't vote for them. No, I'm not. See, I'm not the one hyper-spiritualizing this. Those of you who just, those of you who advocate what I just explained, you're doing it. I've never disagreed with this notion we're not voting for a pastor. I do not believe I do not believe the requirements that Paul lays down for work in the ministry, in specific offices within the ministry, that he lays down to Timothy. I do not believe that applies to other walks of life. Now, it's not a terrible idea if you, if you, to hold yourself to a standard like that, but to me, it's sort of like the Jewish dietary laws. You know, in the book of Acts, the Spirit comes to Peter and says, do not, you know, what God has, what God has made clean, do not call common. Jesus said it is finished on the cross. It is accomplished. God's law, God's wrath has been accomplished. So it is not necessary to practice these dietary laws in order to make yourself holy in the sight of God any longer. That doesn't mean, by the way, that there's not a practical ramification and an application to obeying the old Jewish dietary laws. I mean, lots of people, you know, lots of people find out they have a shellfish allergy. When they're in a public place at a restaurant, they start eating some and they get rushed to the ER. That's when they find out. And you know what? If you went by the Jewish dietary laws and thought, you know, I'm just not going to eat any shellfish, you'd never never risk that. You know what I'm trying to say? There's a practical application that's good, but it's not a moral qualification. That's different. So if you morally want to say is running a ministry or a company, you know what? Just to make sure we're above reproach, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deploy what Paul says to Timothy are the standards for ministry leadership in determining who runs, who's, who are my political leaders, who, who I elect, who I determine are the managers of my company. God bless you. But it's not a moral qualification. So I've never disagreed with the notion we're not voting for a pastor. But I don't take that to mean that means the character of who we vote for is irrelevant at the exact same time. What we're coming to is a place where basically we don't care what the moral character of our politicians are just if they have an R or a D after their name. If you are a Christian, that's not a place I believe we are permitted to be. I don't believe we're allowed to be there. I don't believe if you voted for Trump because for all of the problems he represented, the other woman was a corruptocrat communist who let it be known that she would actively use government to persecute your faith and your brothers and sisters in the faith. And she said this to you out front, up front, I should say. I don't blame you at all. And I don't, I think on the authority of God's word, I don't think he does either. And this is a God who in his own sovereignty chooses to use very problematic people Abraham, Moses himself was a murderer, murdered a man with his bare hands. If anybody understands, if I sit around and wait until everybody's morally pure, nothing will get done around here, it's God. Because he has been using morally problematic people all along. Where I think the word of God has something to say to us 
is when we will no longer admit we're using morally problematic people. And we will say, because I agree with your politics, you, sir, are now absolved. Go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. Well, Steve, I knew Donald Trump was an adulterer going in, and it was 10 years ago, so what do I care? That's moral relativism. And if you don't think there's consequences that God will permit, yes, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, and there's no evidence Donald Trump is in Christ because he keeps telling you he doesn't ever ask for forgiveness. You can't be in Christ if you don't have any forgiveness uh, or repentance. That's step one, okay? But condemnation is not the same thing as consequences. If you are in Christ, there is no longer the risk of eternal condemnation for your sins. Paul is very clear on that. New Testament is very clear on that. But a holy and righteous God will still permit earthly consequences for your actions. And if you don't think there's earthly, you don't think Trump is is suffering earthly consequences for this, then ask yourself why in the past when he has just owned his stuff, right? Yeah, I did her. Double double down. Look how hot she is. If you were my age, you'd do that too. We've seen him do stuff like that all the time with other issues. Why is he working so hard to conceal it here? Probably for the same reason you rarely see the first lady out in public. You ever see her out in public all that much? Nope. Sarah Sanders is suffering the consequences of this as we speak right now, being ridiculed across the board. Three, three days ago, she was America's sweetheart, sitting there with a stiff upper lip and full of grace, taking this fiendish, fake comedian's demonic deconstruction in public. Now, three days later, she's losing the moral high ground to Jim Acosta because turns out she didn't tell the truth. Oh, there's all kinds of consequences. Michael Cohen, you know, he was in the good graces. He was in King Trump's court right by his side for how many years? Now dudes may see his whole life get wrecked. And now we find out today that they spent weeks bugging his phone calls before they went into his offices with the subpoenas. Who knows what's on those records? And given what we've seen out of the Mueller probe, um, I'm putting the over-under guys at the odds this gets leaked to the Washington Post and New York Times at 99%. Are you taking the uh, over the under? What do you think, Todd? Are we going over-under on that? 99. That's Over. The, over. It's over. 100% metaphysical freaking suitertude. Okay? All kinds of people around the president are suffering greatly and suffering legally and suffering public shame, humiliation, and indignity for his acts. Because a sovereign God will permit consequences for our actions. So you should care. You don't care about any of those people right now. And it's funny because you're the ones that will tell me I'm not loyal to the cause. Yeah, I remember Sarah Sanders getting us donuts <laughs> as essentially a glorified intern on the Huckabee campaign. Just breaks my heart to see what to see that. Hogan Gidley, the deputy White House press secretary, is a good friend of mine, has been for years. I just spoke to him a few days ago. And to see him uh, sit there on, on cable television last night, when he thought he, when he was originally being booked to probably come on and talk about North Korea, the economy growing, and all of a sudden Rudy Giuliani drops that bomb, and they ask him about, it, he's like, I don't know what to say, I got no comment. What, what what do you say to that? See, you really don't care about these people if you're saying it doesn't matter, because I can promise you those people right now that are suffering the consequences for this lie. They think it matters quite a bit. I mentioned Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. He also is one biblical figure who probably, I think, can come, other than, of course, Christ himself, can come the closest to identifying with this narrow road we're trying to navigate in a free society. Because he was not just a Jew, but a Roman citizen. He had basic civil rights. He didn't vote 
for you didn't vote Nero into the emperorship. But he had a lot of the same sorts of basic rights as a Roman citizen we have today. Face your accusers, fair and speedy trial, a lot of things we take for granted today. He was one of the rare people in the ancient world that had those because he had the coveted Roman citizenship. And so I think when Paul, when Paul is addressing, he never addresses this particular kind of matter we're talking about today, but he addresses a lot of secondary matters that really come down to, here we have this sect of Judaism that believes Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah, is the promised one, is the anointed one. Because you have to remember, for the first several years of, of the history of the Christian faith, it's essentially just a Jewish argument. Is, is Yeshua the Messiah or not? That's really all that it is at first. Until they begin to go to Syria, and they begin to go to Greece, and they go to the Gentiles. And then when they do that, now they're faced with a different battle. First, the battle was, is Yeshua Messiah or not? Now the battle becomes, we've got all these adults, pagans, uncircumcised, eating funky foods, dressing weird. And do we mention they're uncircumcised? Who wants to, who's going to volunteer for the job? Hey, I'm going to circumcise all the 38-year-old Greek dudes. Wasn't a huge line for that, okay? They've got all these now. They've got a, before it was an argument about really strict religiosity. Is, is Jesus whom the, the Torah was pointing towards or not? Now it's a cultural argument. How are we going to, how are we going to mesh all of these customs and languages and ways of life into one church? How's that going to work? Into a body of Christ? And they had to wrestle with this. And Paul is addressing these concerns a lot in the New Testament. And what he says a lot, I could sum it up really with just this. As long as the word of God is not being explicitly violated, offer each other a lot of grace for your conscience and do your best not to sully your character in public as a believer. Would we agree on that? Yeah. Okay. I think that applies to this conversation. It's actually much simpler than we think it is. In this world, we will have many troubles. And, and, and we live in a fallen creation that the devil wants to use to show no one can be good. It's like the last scene in The Dark Knight, pitting the two boats against each other. Because he doesn't care who blows who up. He just wants somebody to push the button so he can prove to Batman, this is just how bad humanity is. Put him in a tough enough situation and they will be every bit the fiends they'd condemn in somebody else. That's the devil's amoral game. He will seek to put us into Kobayashi Maru's. No-win scenarios. And in some of those situations, some of us will say, the only way to win the game is not to play. I, I, I'm not going to make a choice because I can't defend either one. Others among us will look at that and say, I think I can defend this choice, admitting up front that it's problematic. And whichever route we take in these situations, I think we have to give each other an immense amount of grace for conscience. But what we should not tolerate is when we are faced with these no-win scenarios or less-than-ideal choices that we lie to one another and romanticize them as if they're not that. That, I believe, Paul would have no tolerance for. And he would come down harshly upon that. Donald Trump is not a noble man. He is not a virtuous man. He is not God's anointed. Although I do think he has been used by God to do some good things. But I actually think some of those good things, most of you don't think are good things. I think some of those good things are exposing a lot of other people's fecklessness and dishonesty. He's just a man. Men fall. Men make mistakes. I fall. I make mistakes. One of the reasons why I'm not in church leadership. I have a radio show and a television show. 
Yes, I'm a Protestant. I believe in the priesthood of every believer, but I don't hold the official office of priest either. I used to preach at our old church and I never put myself up for nomination for elder. Why? Because I didn't think I was qualified. I mean, preaching the word of God is one thing. That's about your integrity to the word of God. Will you stand for the word of God? Will you be faithful in letting the word of God do its work through you? Being an elder is different. I don't, I don't, I didn't care enough about people to be an elder. I had more moral areas in my life I needed to grow and mature. I, I, it was, it, there was a potential I would do damage to the church in that position. And I figured they'd vote me into it because of who I am and, and the fact I preached the church, which is exactly why I never put myself up for it. Because I knew. I don't, I don't, at this point, I'm not there yet. I, I should not be the elder of a church. This is one of the reasons why I'm honest with you about who I am and what I struggle with. Because I'm not your hero either, man. And if I haven't let you down by now, honestly, I got to ask you, are you really listening to this? Have I, I've never made you wince once. I've never made you think, oh, come on, Dace, really? We're doing this again, really? Not once. Then if that's true, then don't, I, I'm not, don't make me your idol. There's one Lord here, one faith, one baptism. That's it. And we're going to have times where, particularly as this culture continues to devolve, the choices are not going to get better. They're going to get tougher. Because one of the things the devil will want to do is to show us you can't do any better than this. You can't rise above this. So just go with the flow and be like everybody else. Everyone does what is wise now in their own eyes. We got to leave a lot of room for grace. On one hand, we have to recognize we are not a sovereign God. So we cannot actively pick bad people and then mold them and shape them into accomplishing our will. On the other hand, we also have to recognize that there may be some times that we have to put up with a certain level of poor character in a more ideal time we would not because of what's pressing at the moment of what is a clear and present existential threat. But then when we're doing that, we have to then understand we can't use that to justify changing our standard either. Steve, that sounds hard. Yeah, it's real hard. That's why it's called a narrow road, man. That's why I got to give each other a lot of grace where this is concerned. So let's start with something very simple. Donald Trump's not a good man. Donald Trump needs to repent of his sins. He risks, no matter how much good he does in this life, he can move the embassy to Jerusalem every day. If he does not repent of his sins to Christ, he will go to hell. At the same time, the sun, God makes the rainfall on the just and the unjust. People we don't agree with or whose theologies are not perfect or even orthodox can do tremendous things. God gives gifts to believers and unbelievers alike. Stop and think about the fact God knows everyone who will follow him or not. And yet he gives people that he knows going in are going to reject him. Sometimes tremendous gifts. He still gives them air to breathe, people to love. 
And so when we see people whose beliefs are not the same as ours, whose character is not what we would want it to be, using that character and those gifts in that time to do what God says is right, we should applaud that. Because those of you who will not give the president credit for good things he does because of his poor character, you're not any better than the people who overlook his poor character because of the good things he does. In fact, you're just like them. You're peas in a pod. If anything, we should almost be more thankful when somebody as unvirtuous as Donald Trump defends our religious freedom because he's probably not really that aware of what we even do with it. I mean, Paula Jones is your spiritual advisor. You don't really know much about the purpose of religious freedom, if you know what I'm saying. And self-esteem guru Norman Vincent Peale, who makes, who makes Joel Osteen look like Augustine, and you claim that he's your spirit animal, you're not, you're not really down with this whole what's the purpose of freedom of religion thing. You know, it's a little bit like, you know, I've got three children. They have different gifts and different talents. Anna is working, our oldest, like her dad, sucks at math. She is slaving away trying to get a 70 in that class here at the end of the year. If she gets a 70 in that class, I'm throwing a freaking party for her because I know how hard she had to work to get there. On the other hand, when she stands up and just blows out a solo, I know how gifted she is in that area, so I'm appreciative of it. But to me, it's not, she'd have to work as hard to do that as she had to do to get that 70 in geometry. On the other hand, Noah, who's, who gets, who's getting an A in Latin right now, wants to give me excuses to why he's only got a C-plus in English. No. No, kid. You don't get to tell me, well, Dad, I got an A in Latin, but Dad, I got a C-plus in English. Uh, no. If you're getting an A in Latin, something tells me you probably ought to be doing better in your native tongue. Just saying, Right? So we almost ought to be more thankful when somebody as problematic as Trump does what is right. But we never lose sight of what is right and what is wrong. Because he's not, there are consequences being suffered for these actions. Just as there are rewards and benefits happening for the good actions at the same time. What I'm suggesting is not easy, but it becomes simpler if we refuse the temptation to join one of the world's tribes. And just say the truth is its own reward. I'm okay with the truth. And if the truth means one day Donald Trump does something good and I applaud it and half of you tell me I'm a sellout now. And the next day is a very unfortunate day for the president, presidency of the United States like what the last 24 hours has been. And the other half of you tell me you hate America and want the Democrats to win. Oh well. Is it the truth? Was that, it's really not about what your reaction to it is. It's really about whether or not it's true. None of these politicians, even the good ones I know, are worth us killing each other over. None of them are. And I promise you will always love them more than they love you. I promise you that's true. When this is over, we have to have some of our virtue left so the rest of our countrymen will listen to what we have to say. Doesn't mean we have to be perfect. Doesn't mean we have to be right. It means we have to be honest. These five different stories about Stormy Daniels and the embarrassment that's ensued are appalling. And if it were a Democrat in office, I wouldn't even have to have this conversation with you. 
On the other hand, if it were a Democrat in office, most of the media right now chastising Trump would be defending him. On the other hand, in a couple of weeks, I think it's May 12th actually, they're going to formally move the embassy to Jerusalem. Last year, the president signed an executive order into law to defend our religious liberty. I, I think more than you would have gotten if President Romney or McCain had won. I'm getting at least $100 extra in my check every other week. Our show is growing. My business is growing. I'm on pace for 2018 for my company. This will be our best year yet. I'm thankful for the decisions the president has made for whatever role they played in those favorable outcomes for me and my family and my belief system. And if you're not willing to thank him for that, well, they're not any better than the Trump shills that want to overlook all the bad stuff that we talk about too. The issue is not a willingness to support morally problematic people in the hopes that the policies they will pursue are superior to what your most likely alternative is. That's not wrong. What's wrong is to not acknowledge when they're morally problematic. That's what's wrong. And that's when we lose our witness to the world. That is when the world looks at us and says, you guys really aren't any different than us, so why should we listen? Final thoughts, take as long as you want. Todd, I'll start with you. Well, the people you've been describing, uh, utilizing as a cautionary tale, they remind me very much of the disciples literally walking feet from the Lord himself and arguing about which one of them will get to sit at the right hand, at his right hand. Mm. Uh, they are so sure of their place in things that they are they 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 simply can't see the forest for the trees, and the Lord, and the Lord calls them on it. The last will be first, and the first shall be last. The the letter that Steve wrote, the email, if you are spending that much time thinking you are first, you have to be first. You can't not but be first. It's abundantly clear in the scriptures that you end up last. You do last place things. You deserve to be last. If you put yourself last... You get heaven. We've got to stop with confusing righteousness with self-righteousness. You are not parked in a place that is beyond reproach. You do not get to excuse the inexcusable just because there's uh, bad guys around that you hold in contempt. You do not get to do evil so that good may come of it. I'm not being particularly grand in my thinking about this. I, this is basically Christianity 101. But again, I say to you, Jesus' own disciples missed it when it was right there in front of them. And you too are missing it now by putting yourself, by taking claim to a place that does not belong to you. Your self-righteousness, constantly looking down upon uh, others, is not giving you wisdom. It is giving you arrogance, and you are doing stupid things because of it. And that's what I got. Well, if you're wondering if, uh, if you fit the description of 
somebody who Steve has described over the last course of the hour? One, if you're asking that question, the answer is probably no. And two, you made it to the end of this uh, this podcast, so the answer is probably actually no. But we often talk about millennials, how they have a very, very sensitive BS meter. This is one of the things. Uh, Apart from the fact that I think uh, religion is in general, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, is looked down upon. When you use religion to inconsistently apply some sort of standard to benefit your favorite politician or your favorite tribe or your favorite fill in the blank, that's going to be sniffed faster, sniffed, snuffed out faster than anything by the younger generation. You're not only doing yourself a disservice, you're not only doing your neighbors a disservice. If you really love the country, saying that somebody hates the country because they disagree with Mr. Trump today, that is going to do more long-term damage than anything that you say a critic one day of your favorite idol is actually doing. This is the most, aside, aside from progressivism, and I think these things, these things coincide in some form or fashion, this idolatry of, the, of political parties, specifically the Republican Party as it pertains to what we thought was the Christian right in this country, that is the most pressing issue of our day progressivism idolatry it's just a different type of idolatry progressives worship the state we worship one part of the state that is the most pressing issue i think for the church nowadays well let us know what you think about what we think and whether you agree or disagree um we love to know what you think i'll tell you up front if you start right away being a D-bag, um, I'm just going to delete. And if I open it up, and even if it's all glowing, the minute I see it's like eight or nine paragraphs, I just I get so much feedback and everything else I have to do. I just I can't a lot of times give that the, the time it deserves. So um, uh, as Bill O'Reilly used to say, the pithier the better. Just a little tip there. But uh, we, do lo- we do love to know what you think about what we think most of the time. Don't forget CRTV.com, promo code DACE. Back at it again tomorrow with Feedback Friday. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you.